All right, let's uh, get started this morning. We'll buckle on the thinking caps. Sunday school teachers used to tell us when we were kids, no idea what that meant other than stop being squirrely and, you know, running around the classroom or something. But uh, I do want you to think because we have four questions that I want to answer this morning. A little bit of follow-up from Thanksgiving, and I want to get to a particular aspect of Thanksgiving, how it actually kind of works, Um, but a few questions to kind of lead up to that as we consider this matter of Thanksgiving. So uh, I want to start with this question. What gives us the right to come to God and make requests? All right, think on that for a moment. What gives us the right to come to God and make requests? That's going to be the first question that we need to answer in order to eventually get to this matter of thanksgiving in coming to God to make requests. But I don't want to just assume that somehow everyone would know or maybe falsely understand even this idea of how it is that we come to God. So what gives us the right to come to God to make requests? You might have some ideas, and so I want to throw them out, and I don't want you to think you have to have every scripture that addresses it, because there's, there's like nuance to it. You could say general answer, and then someone else might add specifics or vice versa. So we just want to kind of get ideas on the table. Um, if you've ever done some brainstorming or in the workplace, they might call it storyboarding or something where you're just trying to, you're trying to get ideas together so that we can then shape a direction. We're trying to get an answer together, uh, but any idea right now is valid. So let's get them on the table and then we can answer this question. What gives us the right to come to God and make requests? We are his children. We are his children. All right, so there's, there's one of those starting places. Uh, we're his children. We could go to Romans chapter 8, and we would read about uh, life in the Spirit, and by that Spirit, uh, we know that we have been adopted, the text says. Uh, how many of you, somewhere in your kind of immediate family, we'll go a little bit into extended, um, have someone that's adopted in the family. Okay, you know, that's, that's more than half. And so uh, you understand by experience, and the rest, I think, understand it just fine as well. But Romans 8 takes this familiar idea of adoption and tells us we have this spirit of adoption, and by that Holy Spirit, we call out to Abba, Father, uh, that that expression of God as our Father. And so that's a starting place to answering this question, what gives us the right to come to God and make requests? Uh, one answer could be that because of our adoption into God's family. How else could we answer that question? We are told to. We're told to. In Philippians uh, 4, uh, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So we're instructed to bring our petitions, our supplications, your text might say. 
uh, to God. On that one, Hebrews 4.16. Hebrews 4. Um, I'm, I'm open to there because I definitely wanted us to include this in our answer. Hebrews 4, the end of the chapter, beginning verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So there's this explanation of the great high priest, but it's not just to sit and marvel at him. It's not just a portrait. It's also this invitation. Because of this high priest, we should be moved to draw near. So we come with confidence to the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Uh, So Hebrews 4 is significant in our answering of this question. What gives us the right to come to God and make requests. So we're going to keep thinking on this. What else? We've covered adoption. We've covered invitation. We've covered the nature of our great high priest. How else might we answer the question? What gives us the right to come to God and make requests? It's an important question because I think at times, if we don't have a good answer in mind, the devil is going to easily tempt us to not pray because we feel what? Undeserving, or I wasn't good enough, or I really blew it, you know, lost my temper with my wife or my kids or whatever, and so I I don't even deserve to have prayers answered. And it's like a, a, a despair that is triggered by like valid thoughts. I'm unworthy. I failed. I sinned. But apart from truth, that that just becomes a mess of discouragement and despair. But with truth, uh, we know how to get out of that. We know what confession and, and mercy look like. So what gives us the right to come to God and make requests? What other answers can we throw out here? Because we have an intercessor. Because we have an intercessor. Uh, Also in Hebrews, a great high priest who ever lives. So he's alive still. And one of the reasons, one of the purposes for that endless life, that resurrection life of Jesus, is to make intercession for us. A perpetual sufficiency on our behalf. What else? Our sins are forgiven. Our sins are forgiven. So we come back to forgiveness and how God is faithful to forgive and he's just. He does it rightly as a just judge. He is empowered to do that by what is right and that mainly being the look that he can take at the sacrifice of Christ and the work of Christ. And if we are in Christ, then he is just to forgive us because Christ has suffered the wrath of God on our behalf. Um, it kind of goes along with that, but 
like the law has been fulfilled and the sacrifice has been made, <coughs> the curtain was torn into at the death of Jesus. So um, we have the lawful right to approach God. So the, the way has been paved. The author and finisher of our faith, Jesus, has fulfilled the law. He has satisfied its demands. He's paid the price of sin. Um, there's a confirmation of that, one of those signs at the crucifixion. Uh, not only was there darkness over all the earth, not only did the ground quake, not only did some come out of the graves and appear in Jerusalem after the resurrection, but that other sign was the temple veil is split in two by an unforeseen or an unseen force. Nobody was in there. Uh, but this massive curtain, several stories high, several inches thick, is just sh- shredded right down the middle, totally exposing what was perpetually off limits, the Holy of Holies. That was where God said he would dwell with his people there at the ark. And now that access was made wide open. The way was opened, it was paved for us. It's interesting how some of the Christmas carols Uh, tucked away in different verses of them, there will be language of this way being made, uh, a key to open the door, Jesus is. Uh, Because in his coming, he came to open the way for us, to make sure that that veil would be torn. And instead of coming to the temple to meet God, we would come through Jesus Christ. All right, what else, Paul? Paul? Kind of building off the last two that were mentioned, that we have an advocate who is our propitiation. Thinking of First John chapter two, there. First John chapter two. Uh, if anyone does sin, now speaking to those who have been invited to come and confess their sin and find the forgiveness of God. Um, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Now remember that that word advocate is uh, very judicial sounding. Um, you know, in the Navy, you have the judge, advocate, general. Um, in social courts, a, ch- a child in a parental dispute might have an advocate appointed to them, uh, a guardian ad litem, we might call them. That's someone who represents the child's welfare, regardless of the parent. They kind of plug their ears. They don't, they don't care what the parents think or want. That's up to the court to decide what parent is right. That, that ad litem is responsible solely for representing the welfare of the child. So advocate is a term we're familiar with, but we need to remember it's that same Greek word, uh, parakaleo, um, to come alongside, to call alongside. So it's the comforter, John 14. Uh, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the word to exhort in some cases, to comfort in other cases, or to advocate for someone who needs to be represented. Um, So we have an advocate with the Father. We have someone who speaks on our behalf, whose whose purpose is to represent our cause. And he does so by his own righteous life and his substitutionary death. So we have that advocate with the Father, and then that other big word in there was propitiation and has the idea of satisfying demands. And so the law was demanding perfect righteousness, and we kept seeing we can't do that. But Jesus is the propitiation. He is the satisfaction not only of the law, but of 
the consequences that our sin demanded for breaking the law. So there's a lot there, even in just one verse of 1 John chapter 2, that's telling us, man, we, we have grounds. We, we have a right to come to God and make requests. Let me give you a couple of verses that use a key word for us. Uh, the word is access. Romans 5.2, through him, speaking of Jesus Christ, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We have access by faith, and with that access, with that, with that kind of kinetic idea, it's, it's motion, it's, it's movement, it's energy, uh, we have access, and with that access is the hope that as that door is opened, we experience something. We, we behold the glory of God. And we see it now as we see Jesus, and eventually we'll see it face to face. Ephesians 2, speaking of the Jews and the Gentiles, it says, through Jesus we both, so all those Gentiles and all the Jews, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So Paul writing that letter to the Ephesians was reminding them, Jews and Gentiles, now you're all the same. You're united. He says that Jesus broke down the wall of partition that divided them, and now they're unified in the spirit to come to the Father. So don't miss that ending there. We have access in one spirit to something or to someone, to the Father. And then later in Ephesians chapter 3, speaking of the mystery that God was accomplishing in the church, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So to Answer the question, what gives us the right to come to God and make requests is to take us on a path that really is under the umbrella of what we would call the good news, the gospel, what God has done for sinners, something they couldn't do for themselves, but he's done it through Jesus Christ. So that language then of the gospel takes us in a lot of directions. It takes us through means. It takes us to ends. So some of it's the focus on faith. Some of it's our intercessor. Uh, some of it's the, the end, our adoption, the hope of glory. So it's, it's a big answer. Know that you can kind of pick any part of that answer for hope this week. That you do, as a child of God, have the right to come to God and make requests. All right, so that's a, that's a good start in our thinking. Now I want to build on that question with a second question. Is our right to come to God and make requests governed in any way. We've established that we have the right and there's access. And the door, in essence, is, is wide open. We come to our Father and by the Spirit, we call him that, our Father. Jesus taught us that. When you pray, pray this way, our Father. So we know we have access. We've established that. But now we want to ask a, a second question that adds a little maturity to our answer. And we're asking, is that access, is that right to come to God and make requests governed in any way by Scripture? 
How would we answer that question? Is our asking governed in any way? John? So this passage is about who can come and take up his presence. And it talks about the pure hands and the clean heart in the Old Testament and New Testament. Yeah, so Old and New Testament, Psalm 24, James, um, th- these ideas of who, who can come into the presence of God? Who can ascend to the holy hill? Speaking again back to the, the temple and the veil there. Who, who really can come to the temple? Like, are, are any of us fit for that? And the answer is no. But the psalmist and then more fully in the New Testament is, is, is pointing us to an answer that someone else is worthy to do that. And they'll go there on our behalf and we can follow uh, in him. What else? What or is our right to come to God and make requests governed in any way by Scripture? Yeah, Matthew? Through Jesus Christ himself. Okay, so we come through Jesus Christ. We've heard those texts already in the first question and its answer about intercession, about uh, that mediator role of Christ, our great high priest. What else? What else governs our asking, our coming to God? It's supposed to be according to, the, to his will. According to his will. Um, I remember when I worked at the lighting company before we started the church, most of the guys there were Christians. We'd meet Friday and, and do a, a study, you know, like this, a lot of conversation, really getting into the word. And then we would pray. And I remember there was one guy there um, that literally after every phrase that he would pray or anyone else would pray, would say out loud, in Jesus' name. And so whether you were thanking the Lord for something or asking for something, he would say, in Jesus' name, out loud, over and like so 15, 20, 30 times in one prayer, there would be this kind of like insertion or almost interruption of in Jesus' name. Um, so, so convinced was he that everything that you said or thought had to, be, had to be followed by this, it felt like almost like a, like a mantra, like a password or something. Um, but there is something in the Bible. I don't think even in the model prayer we see that kind of format that we have to pray the very words in Jesus' name with every request. But there is something there that, that in our heart, in coming to God to make requests, our heart should be governed by the reality that the name of Jesus or the will of God is is imposed on our will. I think when we look at Matthew chapter 6 and see that model prayer, we start working through that and we realize we, we should be praying, your will be done. Your kingdom come, so your plan and, and your desire should be unfolding in my heart, uh, in our church, in our world. Um, Jesus, when he prayed, submitted his will to the will of his Father. Um, and then in John 17, he even kind of articulates that as a narrative. This is how I've lived. Uh, I've done everything that the Father wants me to do. And so, we, we do feel a sense that our asking, our coming to God to make requests is governed. 
I know we want to we want to feel like, uh, and and we should feel like the little child, you know, bursting in from the backyard, racing into the kitchen to ask mom or dad for something. But we also know that while that's the the heartbeat of coming to God as our Father, there is a maturity in the sense of there's there's boundaries. Uh, our asking isn't just unlimited. We don't just get whatever we want. Uh, we don't get, you know, a, a, a key and buy it. We can open the vending machine and get whatever we want out without even paying for it. We just get whatever because it's, it's free. Um, so we're trying to think of how the scriptures mature us in our asking or even govern us in our asking. And we're saying it should be according to God's will. There's an Instruction about praying in Jesus' name, John 14. Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Well, I think at times we get a little confused by that because we just see the words, if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. And we totally leave out the glory of the Father in the Son as if that has nothing to do with it, as if that was just kind of spiritual words, and really it's all about, I get whatever I ask for. But the whole point is, no, we've got to start at the top, that the Father would be glorified in the Son, and now I'm asking in that name of the Son, representing God's plan through the Son, God's character, God's name, as it unfolds in the plan of redemption through the Son, for me, and now I finally get to me in light of all of that stuff, and I'm supposed to ask in the name of this saving one who was sent by the God who is perfectly holy and demands righteousness of me, and when I couldn't meet that demand, he was just to forever punish me, but instead bestows mercy on me through Jesus, and all of those thoughts are supposed to govern what I'm asking for so that I don't ask wrongly. So there's, there's really, there's a, there's a wonderful freeing spirit of run and ask your heavenly father, come to him. He's good, always. But there's also the sense that, you know, I, I'm going to have to grow in my asking. You can think of the silly requests of immature children, because some of you still have them in your home. Um, Others of you probably remember are starting to deal with grandchildren. You know, this time of the year, you just probably are not going to grant the request of your child when he stumbles out in his pajamas in the morning and asks if he can eat candy canes for breakfast. We're glad he felt free to ask, right? That represents, I can ask my parents. I'll ask dad. I'll ask mom. That's the spirit we do want to have from the scriptures. He's our heavenly father. You, you don't have because you don't ask, James would say. But he would also follow that up by saying, and sometimes you don't have because you're asking wrongly that you would consume it on your own lust, your own passions, your own wants. So when your child wants candy canes for breakfast, your heart is warmed and you think it's cute and you might post it on Facebook, oh, my child asked for candy canes or my grandchild asked for candy canes for breakfast. But rightly, you would probably deny that request and correct it a little bit. 
and help them to see that that's probably not the best idea for breakfast. You know, maybe later you can eat one of those. So what gives us the right to come to God and make requests? We see a lot of answers that shape that, ultimately leading us to we are in Christ and he's beloved by the Father, so we feel that same love and acceptance. However, when we stop and think about our right to come and ask God for things, we do realize that that's governed. Um, it, it's benevolently governed. That, that's a good thing when you tell your child, you know, you don't eat multiple candy canes for breakfast. That, it's just, that's not healthy. Not good for your whole system, not good for your teeth. That, no, just not good. I'm going to give a, a good answer to that child. And that's, that's what question two is addressing. There is God's goodness that governs our asking, that steers it, that shapes it, so that we will constantly be seeing God's goodness, whether it is in a bountiful yes or in a benevolent no. Um, God's goodness is designed to be seen in all of our asking. But just note that we can at times be immature in our asking, James Four and verse three, we ask wrongly. Um, John fourteen, we ask in His name. Matthew six, Luke twenty-two, we ask according to His will. And we could add even more broadly Philippians one, where Paul says, "For me to live is Christ. Uh, whether by life or death, I want God to be glorified." Uh, we could say that our asking should ultimately govern, be governed by uh, God's glory being evidenced in my life. So yes, our right to come to God and make requests is governed in, in biblical ways, with biblical boundaries. Question number three. Is there a characteristic attitude that we should have as we come to God and make requests? Is there a characteristic attitude that we should have as we come to God to make requests. Do we have the right to come to God and make requests? Yes. Is that right to come to God and make requests governed in some way? Yes, it is. Uh, there are boundaries there on how we go about asking. So the, the next question then, trying to get a little more specific and heading towards our, our topic is, is there an attitude that we should have as we come to God to make requests? Um, how would you answer that question? It's less leading than other questions, so you might feel like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I want to answer this. Uh, I don't want to have to make up some, you know, comeback to make my answer sound good. Paul? Thanks for the, thanks for the setup there. Here we go. I'll be thinking of something to salvage this answer. <laughs> uh, I was thinking of Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 12. It says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Which is just kind of, granted those are marks of the believer, marks of the Christian, kind of that whole passage there. But it also explains kind of the attitude and the heartbeat, even in the midst of constant prayer. Yeah, read that again so we can hear each of those phrases. Yeah, backing up just a little bit, verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. 
be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. And in verse 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. So really, I mean, there, there's a couple of attitudes right there. So I, I just want you to see, like, I'm, I'm going towards one of them, but I just want us to, to be thinking, what, what are the attitudes then that we should have as we come to God to make our requests? Uh, patient in hope, kind of wading through those tribulations. Uh, all right, what else? What Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Uh, thanksgiving is an attitude we should have. What else? Yeah. Uh, meekness and humbleness. Yeah, a humble spirit. Um, this is the antithesis of, you know, the, the spoiled rich kid. You know, I drive past Blue Springs South often heading up to the office if I go Adam's Dairy. And, you know, if you're there going by there anytime around 7 o'clock, you see one car after another pulling into that lot, and it's like, good night. These kids, I, I thought high schoolers were supposed to drive the old clunker in the family you know, garage, and, and maybe that is the oldest clunker they have, but there, there are not many vehicles. You know, I'm driving an 07 Honda Accord, which I think is pretty nice. There, there's rarely a car turning into that lot that's back in the O-anythings. Um, so... You know, and some of you went to school with the, the spoiled rich kid, and, uh, and maybe we were all entitled spoiled children in some way. Um, what we're trying to do in this question is recognize, okay, we don't want to be James 4, the, the spoiled child of God, asking wrongly, never giving any thought to how we're supposed to come to God and make our requests. Oh, we've established we have the right but we're not really giving much attention to why. We just know we do. And so we come and we've gotten used to just asking, even demanding, and we're being reminded by that word humility, wait a minute, I, I, I shouldn't feel entitled. I can feel privileged. I can feel like I belong, that I have access. But entitlement we generally perceive as a, as a negative thing. So humility uh, or meekness. Uh, what else? What other attitudes might govern our coming? David? Uh, yielding and submission. A submission. Yielding. Uh, a key part of asking. Uh, I just want to tag on to that hum- humbly uh, humility, but I think we can come before God humbly bold, if that makes sense. Humbly bold. Because of anything, our merits, but because of what Christ has done for us, we can boldly come. Right. We've, we've, in those access verses, the word confidence showed up. Um, I don't think we have to pit humility against boldness or confidence. Uh, Hebrews 4, let us come boldly before this throne of grace that we would find grace and mercy. So we know we need, we're coming humbly. I can't fix this. I can't solve this. I need help. But we're coming boldly because we know who we're coming to. So we, we lump those together, a confidence and boldness. There was the reference to hope in Romans 12 there. Uh, and and we, we're, we cling to that. We're constant in that patient waiting. What else? What other attitudes? Yeah, Matthew? 
Repentance. Uh, not only do we, you know, we're kind of assuming we shouldn't be a sinful child um, needing to confess something by saying we don't want to be a spoiled child, but we shouldn't overlook that, that holiness is essential uh, as an attitude in our coming. Becky? Uh, Psalm 100 tells us to come to his presence with singing. With singing, with, a, with an articulate praise, uh, a declaration of God's worth. Uh, any other hands that were up? I thought there was... All right. I want to kind of zoom in then on one of these attitudes. Um, if we're not coming as the spoiled child, then I want us to be thinking specifically about the attitude of thanksgiving. Philippians 4, I think Valerie had mentioned this earlier. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So the admonition is do not be anxious and let your requests be made known. But the let your request is clearly defined by thanksgiving. So in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known. But that the actual verb of letting your requests, turning them loose toward God, only works when it's done with thanksgiving, the text says. So we let requests fly. We cast our cares on him, but the casting action, the release mechanism is thanksgiving. We make our request with thanksgiving. It sounds like two separate things, and sometimes our minds, it just kind of works that way. There's, there's the giving of thanks and praise, and then there's the making of requests. Just know that they, they should kind of go together. That's, that's what prayer is. Um, Colossians 4 and verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So this attitude of thanksgiving, I think, is um, a, a predominant theme, at least. Um, you might argue, I suppose, you know, other attitudes, depending on how you break it down. Maybe the attitude of holiness or something could be equally um, mentioned. But when it comes to specific mention with prayer or with access, thanksgiving seems to rise to the top. You think of the language of the Old Testament. Becky mentioned Psalm 100. Soon after those verses about singing, we have enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. We don't often think of Psalm 100 in interpreting John 14 uh, when Jesus says, you know, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. But, but when we see that language of God's name, it, it, it immediately throws us into a, a pretty big and rich study. And I think it would include Psalm 100, that we're told to enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. And that probably makes sense to us. I think we understand giving thanks or praising the Lord for something. But the text itself kind of defines what that means. And it means give thanks to him and bless his name. 
So what is the name of God, we would have to answer. What names has he chosen to reveal himself by? What do those names mean? How do they come to us in ways we understand them? Suddenly, bless his name is a big concept. It's not something you probably do in one setting. It's an ongoing understanding of just how vast and good and perfect and beautiful God is in his revelation to us. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. We don't, we don't get to that throne of grace where we're told to come boldly without entering through the gates and in through the courts. The picture there is, how, how do I get to the holy of holies? Now, I couldn't as the average Israelite. Only the high priest would get there. But how would the high priest even get there? He would come in through the outer gate, which was a fabric fence in the tabernacle days, and then he'd have to bring a sacrifice to the altar, and then he'd have to get to the ceremonial washing, then he'd have to enter into the holy place, and then he'd have to enter through that to get to the holy of holies. It was, it was a process to access God. Same in the New Testament temple. We're familiar with the court of the Gentiles and court of the women, and then you could enter the temple proper, and then you could enter the temple doors if you were one of the priests, but then you were still kept from the Holy of Holies unless you were the high priest. So when we hear enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise, it's the language of movement. I'm drawing near to God, but I do so by giving thanks to him and blessing his name. In other words, my prayer shouldn't start with, yeah, I have the right to ask, and so can I have candy canes? Can I have more candy canes? Can I have more candy canes for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner? Candy canes, candy canes, candy canes. And sometimes, if we're not careful, our our praying is literally just asking for more candy canes. Just give me more good things, more job advancement, more, more money, more health, more, more, more of those things which define prosperity and ease comfort. And again, the spirit of the child is good. We come to our father and we ask. And there are times where it is not unreasonable to ask God for a, for a pay raise or a better job uh, because things are tight and, and you're, you're just asking. That's not problematic in and of itself. But what I'm asking you to do is to step back and look at the body of your praying as a whole and see if there's, if there's something more than just give me, give me, give me more candy canes. Or if, I'm, or if I'm getting to bigger issues about how God's glory will be revealed in my life this week, even if it means through a lot of mess and a lot of hardship. What does it mean to, to represent God's name or to, to come to him and ask for things with his name stamped on that, meaning somehow his name must benefit from this too for what I'm asking. So if I'm going to ask for more money and a job and uh, promotion or something, am I asking that in a way that the value of Jesus' name could be affixed to that, that somehow maybe his name's going to look better because I would have that which I'm asking for? If good health will advance the name of Christ, then God may indeed give that as he promised in John 14. 
But what if, like Paul, it's that thorn in the flesh that actually advances the character of God and his faithfulness and his strength because in your weakness, his strength is seen. Well, see, then we know how God's going to answer the prayer for healing. He's going to say no, just like he did to Paul three times over and said, Paul, no, I'm not going to give you healing in that because I have a, I have a plan for that weakness. And it's a plan to, to use you as a channel of my glory being seen. So we have to be careful in our asking that as we're drawing near to God, we're coming with thanksgiving and praise. Psalm 95 and verse 2, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. It's just, it's just simple. Remember that picture of the gate, the fence around the tabernacle building or the walls around the temple building and, and you enter into those gates and you walk across that big courtyard and you get closer and closer. The scriptures are saying that that's how we use thanksgiving. With thanksgiving and praise, we are drawing near. We are coming boldly and we will get to our requests. But even in getting that request out, we're recognizing this is our heavenly father. And that's only possible because of what he's done for us through Christ. And I'm coming to the God of everything. Hallowed be your name. There's that recognition of who this is. Yes, he's my father. Remember the childlike faith. But he's the God of heaven. The omnipotent, omniscient, holy God. So all these thoughts are leading us to thanksgiving and praise, even as we're coming to make simple requests. Simple requests, maybe at times even unsure if they're selfish requests. We might even say that in our prayer. Lord, I don't even know if I'm asking wrongly. So would you just hear my heart? But that, that's what he wants us to do. We're coming with a thankful spirit, recognizing who he is. We're full of praise. And we come. We come into his presence. So it's this language of access. I have the key. Some of you have an actual key that opens your workplace. Some of you might have, you know, a, a key card that you wear or keep in your wallet and that magnetic or RFID, you know, opens the door. You have access. You have the right. We've established that. But we also know our right is governed biblically. Our attitude should be rightly fenced. And the dominant attitude we see connected to prayer is this attitude of thanksgiving, of praise. And, you know, we see this as the Lord taught us to pray. In Matthew 6, we begin with praise. We, we see yielding there. David mentions submission. Your kingdom come, your will be done. But that prayer does get to the heart of our study here, the asking. And the petitions are made, give us this day our daily bread. We're not wrong to say, this is what I think I need. Lord, would you provide? I recommend to you the simple acrostic, um, the word pray. 
we've done it before in evening prayer meeting. It's helpful, I think, to, to make our minds at least be intentional. The, the letter P would represent praise. We enter into his gates with that thanksgiving and praise. The letter R is repent. We do have to come with, with holy hands, clean hearts, a remembrance of what Christ has done. We're, we're not trying to be selfish and wrong in our asking. So there's praise. We praise the Lord. We repent. Letter A is we ask. And Y is yield. Because even in our asking, we might feel like maybe we ask too much or maybe, maybe that's not what God wants to do. The words aren't the problem, but is our heart yielded? Are we ready for whatever answer God gives? And maybe that's the way to conclude a season of private prayer with that yielding. I'm surrendered. Lord, whatever you want, I trust you. You know what's best. I'm just trying to articulate what's in my heart and in my head. And if, and if, and if that's foolishness, then take it and fix it. It's that yielding, uh, our surrender, that we really do know that God knows best. Even though at times it feels like we're coming to him to tell him what's best and what we need. So let's work on this attitude of thanksgiving, knowing we have the right to come and ask. But is that right best evidenced by a thankful heart approaching the throne of grace? You know, in some sense, it's even, it's even why we worship in a familiar format. You know, we call it liturgy. It's just an order of worship. Uh, that sounds formal to some people when I talk to people about our church. They might ask, like, you know, how do you go about your worship? And if you throw the word liturgy out there, you immediately sound like, whoa, we're like stepping back 200 years or something and talking sophisticated. It just means, like, are you doing anything on purpose? Because um, I can remember growing up in, in church and getting into the auditorium early and you know, the song leader would be up on the platform looking through the hymn book and kind of grabbing a few songs that we're going to sing that morning. And is that like sinful? No. I mean, we're still going to praise the Lord and sing together as a congregation. Um, but over the years, we've just wanted to be a little more intentional. If the Bible tells us to come into his presence with thanksgiving and praise, then we just felt it would be good to articulate that and to start with how did the scriptures call us to this, this celebration of God and what he's done. So we start with a call to worship. Like this is a good idea. The Bible says, come, praise the Lord. And usually at the beginning, we'll, we'll have a prayer of praise or sometimes we'll have just the songs that lead us in praise because we want to remember that Whatever else happens in this service, we know that God is worthy of our praise. And if we're going to get to repenting of our sin and asking God for things and yielding to his word, that's all good, but we're coming in a spirit of thanksgiving uh, and praise. So even in our weekly exercise of worship, we're trying to, to be intentional. If the Bible says, come with thanksgiving and praise, we want to do that. So when you see that prayer of praise, don't just think, oh, this is just the format. Think, no, this is movement. We are intentionally drawing near to God. And, and again, not spatially, 
We're not any nearer to him. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. But in our hearts, recognizing that we're drawn all week long by the world, by, by our own flesh, we are intentionally now moving in our hearts toward the worth of God and saying, that's, that's the compass. That's what sets me right. I need to see a holy God. And when I do that, that's what it means to leave here as we dismiss in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It means I've seen him. And that's the, that's the draw that keeps me from drifting into worldliness. So we're just trying to be purposeful. And when it comes to our right to come to God and ask him for things, I think we can be purposeful in the attitude that we have as we come. And that's an attitude of thanksgiving. So Lord, would you help us? Would you lead us into greater maturity in our praying? Keep us from wrongly asking to consume your good gifts and satisfy our want. But if that's not our problem, perhaps our problem is we we just don't have because we haven't been asking much. And so forgive us for, for not having the faith of a little child asking a good father for gifts. Because if our earthly fathers will give good gifts to the little children that ask, how much more will you give good things to us? Open our eyes to your goodness, your faithfulness, uh, to the possibility of your power, uh, which will always be above what we could ask or think. Make us asking people, and first work in our hearts, thanksgiving, so that we would be thankful people. And even now, as we move to a celebration of the birth of Christ, what we think of as Christmas, what we think of as a season of gifts, may we remember that you are the giver of good gifts. Every good gift comes down from you, our Father. So may we receive them with thanksgiving, and may we ask for them with thanksgiving, and may we speak of your good gifts to others with thanksgiving. Continue to work this beautiful godliness in us, this godliness of being thankful for our time in the word this morning. Bring that kind of profit from your word to our hearts so that we wouldn't easily forget this week, this lesson on being thankful. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.